I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and we're going to read from verse 12 of the chapter. John's Gospel, chapter 21, and beginning our reading at the 12th verse of the chapter. Just the last uh, chapter there of the book of John. And verse 12, Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him, The third time lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whether thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. And then Peter, turning about, saith the disciples, whom Jesus loves following, which also leaned on his breast as supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. And we know the Lord will add his blessing again to the reading of his precious word. Let's unite in a word of prayer afresh. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for the precious word of God to our hearts afresh. And we'd ask thee that thou wouldst come in thy power now and visit us. And Lord, even as thou dost visit the disciples in their day and empower them and uh, put them right into the very center of the work. So Lord, thou wouldst do that for us as well. We be with us to today, draw us nigh to thee, shut us in with thyself, 
For it is in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, we've been looking at the life of the Apostle Peter, and on the first week we thought about Peter, and we described as Peter on the rise, and how he came into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we remember how his brother Andrew had brought uh, Peter to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he had said, we have found the Messiah, which has been interpreted the Christ. And what a red letter day that was for Peter when he was saved by the grace of God. Then we read about Peter following Christ and being a disciple of Christ. And then we read about how that uh, he uh, made those words of declaration when others were forsaking the Lord. He said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And remember then at uh, Caesarea Philippi, how uh, Peter was very bold to speak about his Lord. And he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you remember how the Lord Jesus commanded him and said, Blessed art thou, Simon, Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed unto it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then the Lord spoke about Peter as the rock on which he would uh, build his church. And not Peter as the rock, but what Peter had said as the rock upon which he would build his church. And we think about that great commendation there, the uh, wonderful commendation that this man was given by the Lord Jesus Christ. But no sooner had uh, uh, Peter got this great commendation then he begins to feel. And you remember how that um, he says to the Lord Jesus, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And remember how the Lord says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art offence unto me. This is Peter. This is the man who's right in the very center of the work and witness of God. And the Lord turns to him and says, you're Satan. You are a mouthpiece of Satan. And what a, a dreadful thing that was. And this man goes out and denies his Lord and denies the Lord even with oaths and cursings. And my, you would have thought that there's a man that is finished as far as the work of God is concerned. Here's a man who has taken upon him to blaspheme his Lord and to turn his back upon the Lord that had saved him and provided for him. But we saw last time Peter returning, how God in his mercy dealt with this man. Didn't throw him off, didn't dismiss him, didn't just, uh, as it were, throw him to the uh, wolves or throw him on the, uh, the rubbish heap. But here is a man who is restored by the Lord. And today we want to take the last step. We have Peter rising. We took a few weeks at uh, Peter's uh, return. Uh, Peter, he rose. And then we find that there is that um, uh, step back, his retreat. And then last time we thought about his restoration. But what I want to do today is take the last step and speak about Peter's recommissioning. Because not only did the Lord restore this man into the very center of the fold of God, 
But God took this man and made him a leader and made him uh, one who was in the forefront of the work of God. And I want us just to take a few minutes today to think about Peter's recommissioning. And once again, what I want you to see is that God can take the off-cuts and the off-scourings and those that have been laid aside, and God can make something mighty out of them. And that's a wonderful encouragement to us afresh again as we meet around God's word. So let's look at at Peter here at the end of his life or at the start of his ministry, at the start of the ministry or the end of the ministry of the Lord and the start of his own ministry. And first of all then, as we look at John chapter 21, I want you to see that Peter is recommissioned by the Savior. Here he is and he is reinstated. And you can see it there in John chapter 21. Here were the disciples out fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And the Lord Jesus draws near and he bids them come and dine. If you look at verses 12 and 13, Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. None of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord Jesus, then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. So here they are at breakfast and they are dining in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that as they're in the midst of this feast, that um, the Lord takes Peter, as it were, by their lapels, as it were. He, he takes them and he brings a question to him to startle him. Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? My, if there's ever a question that's going to startle God's people, it is somebody coming and questioning whether we love the Lord Jesus Christ or not. And you notice the the um, reply of Simon Bar-Jonah, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he's able to say here, now, as we pointed out the last time, we said that he's not using the same word as the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is using a very high word for love. It's a word that speaks of sacrificial love. Peter doesn't use the same word in, in return. He says, thou knowest that I love thee. Thou knowest that I have a fondness for thee. Thou knowest that I am uh, a friend of thine. Thou knowest all of these things. I just can't say that I love thee with a sacrificial love with a full heart. And maybe today as we come and we're faced, the Lord comes today and he says, lovest thou me? And we're like Peter, we can't just say, with a full heart. Yes, Lord, I love you. I love you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. I love you with all that I my being. I love you with all that I have. I would give to you. We're like Peter, and we can't say that. And the Lord keeps repeating it. Peter, do you love me? And he's wanting to push Peter to uh, face him with the fact that he doesn't love him. Peter's just denied the Lord. And he can't say with a full heart, I love you. He can't say that. And maybe we can't either. As we face the Lord today and as we face the world around us, I wonder what our love is. J.I. Packer, the theologian, said, our love is to express our gratitude 
for God's gracious love to us and to be modeled on it. And that's what our love is to be like. Our love is to be like the Lord Jesus' love. And I wonder how we measure up today as we face what the Lord has to say to us. Do we love the Lord sacrificial? Do we love others around us? Because if we truly love, that love will come out through us. That love will be demonstrated. It will be seen. We'll not have to show it off or anything like that. We think of the Lord's great sacrifice and example of love. We're told in Matthew 20 and 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. And I want you to see the Lord didn't overlook Peter's sin. He didn't uh, forget Peter's sin, but he was willing to forgive Peter's sin. Because even though Peter couldn't say, I love you with a full heart, the Lord still brought him in. The Lord still kept asking him the question until he in vehemence cried out, Lord, uh, Lord, thou knowest, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love you. And oh, that the Lord would keep on pushing us in today uh, and that we might love him with a full heart. But I want you to see that the Lord here forgives this man. He forgives him. You know, Thomas Edison, when he made the light bulb, it took him and his engineers or his electricians 24 hours to make the first light bulb. It took them all of that labor, 24 hours to make the light bulb. And Thomas Edison given it to, gave the light bulb to a young fellow there, and he said to him, carry that bulb up to the place where we're able to plug it into the electric supply. And the young fellow, very carefully, he knew how much labor and value had gone into that first electric light bulb. And the young fellow carried it up every stair. And you guess what happened on the last stair? He tripped and fell and smashed the light bulb. And it took them another 24 hours to make another, light, another electric light bulb. And uh, when Edison had finished the electric light bulb, what did he do? He gave it to the same young fellow that had smashed it in the first place. He was willing to forgive. And the Lord is willing to forgive you and me. What love. And you notice the Lord, uh, Lord's instruction to Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Isn't that what the Lord wants us to do? That's what he was doing here at the breakfast uh, feast there on the shores of Galilee. He was feeding others, feeding them physically. But as God's people, what we need to be doing is feeding the Lord's sheep and the Lord's lambs in these days. He says, feed my sheep. So we notice that Peter is recommissioned by the Savior. But he's also roused by the Spirit. I want you to think about him in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And here again we have Peter. And Peter's here on the day of Pentecost. And the disciples had been gathered together at the upper room. The Lord had said for them to tarry in Galilee for a while. And then they went to the upper room in Jerusalem. And the Lord said for them to tarry there. And it, the Lord said in Luke 24 and verse 49... And behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power 
from on high. So while they were waiting, the Lord had now ascended. He had ascended from the Mount of Olives. And now the the, uh, disciples were back and they were waiting, waiting there in the upper room. And we think of this waiting. What were they waiting for? Well, probably they really didn't understand what they were waiting for. Now, the Lord had spoken about power. The Lord had given them some indications about what they were waiting for. But did they really understand when the rushing mighty wind came? When when the place or the thing like a rushing mighty, mighty wind and the tongues of fire and all of these things began to take place? Did they really know that that is exactly what was going to take place? But here they are waiting for the Lord. And I want you to see the obedience of their waiting. You you think of what happened here. This man, Peter, he goes out and he witnesses before the very people that he had been afraid uh, to face before. And because of them, these people who had been in the high priest's palace, this is the very same people that he's speaking to. And he goes out and he witnesses boldly. Why? Because he has power now. Now, where did he get the power? Well, he got the power from his obedience. He'd been told to wait at Jerusalem, and so wait at Jerusalem he did. And they had been there now a number of days. They had been there waiting in that place for quite a a bit of time, and yet they were still waiting because they had faith in God. And you know, if we want the power of God, we need to be patient with God. We need to be those that, like Caleb, holy, follow the Lord. But then we need to have faith. And you'll notice that not only did Peter wait here and the disciples wait obediently, but they waited confidently. They waited in faith. The Lord had spoken about the promise of the Father. And they knew that the promises would be fulfilled. They knew that God was as good as his word. And you can see them here. Verse 4 says that they were waiting for the promise. And it tells us what the Lord had promised them in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. He said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So they were waiting, and they received power. Oh, they were waiting obediently, and they were waiting confidently, and they were waiting patiently. No doubt, there were days uh, from the uh, seven or ten days that they were waiting when they wondered what the Lord was doing. The Bible says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou canst not tell Whence it cometh, or whether it bloweth, so is the Spirit of God, it says. So is every one that's born of the Spirit. Sometimes the Lord blows with his wind in one direction, and sometimes in another. And sometimes we've got to have patience on God to work. But we've got to wait with confidence that the God who is able to send power in that day is still the God who is able to send power in our own day. The psalmist said in Psalm 130 and verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait in his word. Do I hope? And that's what we need to do. We need to have that confidence and patience in God as we seek to serve the Lord in this day. 
So we see the uh, second step in uh, Peter's reinstatement. He is roused by the Spirit of God. But then I want you to see there's another step in his reinstatement here. He is proved reliable in his service. Now, we find now Peter, and he goes out in the power of the Holy Ghost, and what does he do? Well, he boldly preaches the word of God. He boldly preaches the message of the gospel. And I want you to see that he becomes a mighty instrument in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see him in a service here, particularly in Acts 2, uh, other places in the word of God. But we're going to concentrate on Acts 2 and the sermon that he preaches. And I want you to see him as a servant of God here. And what is he doing? He's exalting Christ. If you look at verses 22 to 24 of Acts chapter 2, you begin to read his sermon. He says, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, that's the first thing that he mentions. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God by, did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves know him, being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So what's the center of his message? What's the outset of his message? It's Christ and him crucified. That's what he always preached. He said, we preached Christ and him crucified. That's what we exalt. That's what we want to tell men and women. It is the very center of the gospel. It is Christ and him crucified. And that's the ministry of every child of God. We are preachers of Christ and him crucified. And that's got to be the center of every message that is preached in every place where the word of God goes forth. Not only did he exalt Christ, but he exercised prayer. Turn over to chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. So here were these disciples, and they had learned from the Lord Jesus the vital nature of prayer, how that oftentimes the Lord Jesus would withdraw in order to pray, in order to bolster his ministry. And here they are going up to the house of God at the time of prayer. Turn over to chapter 10 and verse 9, and you'll see another instance of Peter in the place of prayer. It says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up unto the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So here is his, um, uh, here is his habit. Here is what he does. He goes either to the house of God to pray, or else he goes up into his housetop in order to pray. There is public prayer and there is private prayer. And he has learned from the Lord Jesus. He has watched the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry. And now he's emulating what the Lord Jesus did. He prayed. And we think of how Peter in the uh, epistle that he wrote spoke of how the Lord Jesus had said, Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. And surely that's how to be an effective servant in the work of God. We pray. 
And then something else is characteristic of this man's reliable service. He's explaining the scriptures. Turn back to Luke 2, or Acts 2 rather, and look at verses 16 and 17. And here is Peter again. It says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he's, he's quoting Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith, the, uh, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And then he goes on and he explains the scriptures. He is opening the scriptures to them. So that's another thing. We're preaching the word. We preach Christ and him crucified, but we preach the word. We preach the word, what it is said, what it is. Uh, it is the authoritative word of God. We come to open the scriptures and proclaim the scriptures. And every true and faithful servant of God is going to be one who is proclaiming the basic things of the Bible and the deep things of the Bible. And we've got to see what the Word of God has to say. Paul said to young Timothy, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So that's another part of his reliable service. He preached the Word. Something else. Not only did he explain the scriptures, but he exposed falsity. Look at chapter 3 again in verses 14 to 17. Now here is Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. And these men had opposed Christ, had put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. And by their actions they had forfeited their right to be true teachers of God. But you notice how Peter confronts them in verses 14 to 17. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murder to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you. And now, brethren, I wot, that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your uh, rulers. He's referring there to the man that had been healed uh, in the temple, the lame man that had been healed. And he says that this is the power that had been given. But he confronts these false teachers. He speaks to them. The Lord said in Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Or what Peter, Paul said in Romans 16 and 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Now we have to be very careful about false doctrine. There are many very subtle false doctrines that are creeping in today, even amongst God's people. Even God's people are beginning to uh, accept the propaganda of the world. You've seen the way that the Church of England has capitulated, and we see that as a dramatic apostasy um, uh, to add to the apostasies that have taken place. Uh, but there are many in other walks and in other churches, and it'll be very easy, maybe not to do what they have done, I hope not anyway, 
but they can do so in a very subtle way. So we, we need to make sure that our discernment antenna is up and that we are able to discern between that which is good and that which is false. There needs to be an exposing of the false doctrines of this day. But something else about a reliable servant. We've seen all these things. But you'll notice something about him. He's expecting blessing. When Peter took the lame man by the hand there in Acts chapter 3, he was expecting God to do something. He was expecting God to work. And, you know, regardless of our burdens and our problems that we have, we need to come expecting God to bless. You know, we may have a time in which the tide is out as far as the gospel is concerned, but we still expect God to step in. We still expect God to work and for God to bless. And this man comes with that sense of faith and expectancy to come to the very presence of God. Something else, one more thing about this man's uh, character, or he, well, that's what he does, he exhibits character. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, and we read this, but Peter and John answered, this is the Sanhedrin, and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now, before we have met Peter denying the Lord, the, a little girl, a, a maid, just a, a maid at the door, that's all she was. And yet in the face of a maid at the door, he denies the Lord Jesus. Now, now here he is in the face of the very man that had conspired to put the Lord to death, in the very face of the man who had actually conducted the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ, the man in whose presence he was when he had denied the Lord. He, he had denied before one of these men's servants at the door, but now he's in the very presence of the very man himself, and he says, we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. There's a transformation that has taken place in this man. He's been reinstated, hasn't he? He has been reinstated into the work of God. He is once again usable in the uh, presence and in the work of God. And he's been in the Lord's school, school. And he's learned a lot of lessons. And he's learned the lessons of grace. And he's learned the lessons of boldness. And he's learned the lessons of the power of God. Oh, dear friend, thank God the Lord is able to restore and he can restore you and me right from the very brink. The child of God will never die, but he can take us right from the very brink and put us right back in the very center of the work of God. There's a little Canadian girl by the name of Erica in 2001, 24th of February 2001, and little Erica was only one year old. And she went out into the Edmonton winter in Canada, which is minus sometimes, I don't know what it was then, but it can go down to minus 40s or whatever. And her mother, Layla Nordby was her name, went out to look for her little daughter and found her frozen stiff, totally frozen. Her legs were frozen stiff, her body was frozen, 
All signs of life had gone from the little body. But Eric was taken and she was treated in Edmonton Stollery Children's Health Centre. And remarkably, she was resuscitated. And to the amazement of everything, it appeared as if nothing had happened. There was no sign of brain damage. There was no sign of any of her limbs having been affected. And at the end, the doctors were able to give little Erica a clear prognosis. And you know, we can backslide very badly. It can seem as if we're frozen stiff, and even it might look as if we're dead. But I'm glad today that the Lord is able to take a denier like Peter, a man who with oaths and curses denied his Lord, and put him right back in the very center of the work of God. And you know, God can do that with you as well, and he can do it with me. Thank God we have a merciful God and a loving Savior, and may we follow him with all our hearts and souls and minds, even today, for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts today. Lord, we were looking at the last time at uh, Peter's restoration and how he was brought back from the brink. But Lord, we thank thee today. We've been able to see that he's put right in the very center of the work of God. Lord, we thank thee for thy mercy towards us. Lord, if it hadn't been for thy mercy, where would we be? Lord, we're glad today that we have one who cares for us and loves us with an everlasting love. Take our thanks for all of thy mercies. Draw us near to thy side and bless us abundantly. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Can we turn to the hymn 269? We'll sing a couple of verses of it. I've wandered far away from God. Lord, I'm coming home the path of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. The hymn 269, the first two verses of the hymn, and we'll stand as we sing.
loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we pray that thou wouldst bless us as we go from this place today. And Lord, may we rejoice in the grace and mercy of our God. Take us to our homes in safety now for Jesus' sake. Amen.